be, um, it's a privilege, I know, for you to be able to hear him this morning. So, Doug, why don't you share with what God has on your heart? Thank you. <laughs> I feel like a Batman up here today because I'm like, I'm over my pack limit. Do you see that? Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> and, I, and, and I don't want to forget that the, it's time for the fourth and fifth graders to head to your class. So if you do that right now. For everybody else, how you doing? I know Sam mentioned school starting, but for me, this is like that time of year that's really exciting because college football is about to begin. So, <laughs> so um, but how, how's everybody doing this morning? Doing all right? It was beautiful. You guys sounded amazing this morning when you were singing. Um, I want to talk about worship this morning. This series that we're doing is called Renovation of the Heart. It's this idea that somehow when you worship, that God will use that moment that you spend with him to transform who you are, to renew your heart. And so as we get ready to talk about some of those things, I thought maybe we'd start out with a prayer. So if you would bow your heads. God in heaven, we thank you that we can gather together and celebrate who you are, who your son is, what you've done for us through him. God, we um, are just humbled by the fact that not only did you create us, but uh, when we mess things up, you want to send your son to save us. God, this morning, we want uh, just your words and, and, and just the, the, the knowledge of the, your design of us to kind of change our hearts and draw us closer to you and the things that you would have us do in this world. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, it's a little intimidating to talk about worship, and I know that probably feels a little weird coming from me because I'm up here every week, but I mean, like, when you think about what it means to worship the God that made you, you know, like, what do you say? I mean, what could you possibly say that he's not heard before? I mean, how do you approach the God who created you and tell him he's awesome and really feel like you're, you can really say that? I mean, like, you know, like, how? How can you ever say it well enough to him? I mean, what can you say to the one who flung stars farther out in space than you, than you can even see or even conceive? I mean, what could you say to the one who engineered that complex double strand of millions of sugars and phosphates that encodes your infinite uniqueness? I mean, what do you say to that God? What can you possibly say to the one who alone makes baby's eyes bright and yet came in the form of a baby so that he might reconcile us to him. I mean, what do you say to a God like that? It's a little overwhelming, so I think I'm just going to dodge that one. And this morning, we're just going to talk about why we sing. Why, you know, why we sing. So, first of all, I want to say it is a little weird, okay? Not many places in your life do you gather with a bunch of people, you hang out and, and sing songs. I mean... Um, Try going to the nearest coffee shop, stand up in the middle of the coffee shop and say, hey, everybody, let's sing some songs together. They'd probably kick you right out, wouldn't they? So, I mean, like, maybe once in a while that happens, I mean, where you sing with a bunch of people. Maybe on New Year's Eve, you know, as you're making that toast and the clock ticks 12, you might sing Old Lang Syne. Or maybe you might be um, at a sporting event, you know. And, like, by the seventh inning, you're feeling pretty good for whatever reason. <laughs> maybe it's your team winning. Maybe it's the beer that you had. Um, but you might take a crack at uh, singing um, uh, the, the one, two, three strikes you're out. Or uh, here's another one you might sing. 
goes like this. Hail to the victors, valiant. Hail to the conquering. Okay, maybe that's just me. Okay, how about this one? Cheer, cheer for old Notre Dame. Wake up the echoes. All right, see, so you know what I mean, right? You get the idea. But, you know, but the thing is, is like we're called by God to sing. All throughout the history of God's people, he has like littered it with this, uh, this idea that we should be singing. Um, I love that how it says it in um, Psalm 92. Um, it's good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night to the music of the six-string tailor and the melody of the harp. For you make me glad by your deeds, Lord. I sing for joy at what your hands have done. In fact, the Bible reminds us over and over and over. I thought about maybe I could add up all the times it mentions it, but that just seems like math and stuff. But over and over, he says things like, sing for joy. Sing a new song. Sing to the Lord. Sing praise to his name over and over, hundreds of times throughout the Bible. This idea that we're supposed to sing. But one thing I have learned with age, and yes, I am old, um, is that sometimes it takes the right tool to make the job happen. So if anybody could tell me what that is. What? What? Butter knife. Okay, how many really wanted to say screwdriver? (laughs) Come on, like raise your hand if you've ever used a butter knife for a screwdriver. Come on, I know you have. Right? And it usually doesn't end up well, does it? You know, like the top of the head screw it looks all funny and, and messed up. So, so like, I've, I've learned that, like, over time, that, like, sometimes when you have the right tool, it makes all the difference. Usually I'm, like, working at some project around the house, and I'm sort of backing myself into some sort of corner with this project, and, I, and, like, I end up having to go to Lowe's and drop a considerable amount of change on the right tool. And when I come back, boom. It's like nobody's business. I can just get it done. And then I have that tool that I'll use probably once a year. So. But, uh, but it's, um, when it comes to worshiping together, I would say that you, and when I say you, I mean all y'all, are uniquely gifted to worship God. Um, like Pastor Greg said last week, and also, you know, in that Chris Tomlin song, you and I are made for worship. Um, so, like, I want to show you something gross, okay? Go ahead and look at the screen. Now, it doesn't look too bad because it's a drawing. And I, there's actual photos. That's a picture of your larynx. Um, but there's actual photos, full color, and that was just too much. You guys got to go to breakfast after this and stuff. It was it's really gross. But, like, if you look up there, um, th- this is what it looks like when you're looking down at your larynx. And these two things that come down the side are your, what we call vocal cords. Um, doctors call them vocal folds because it's actually this membrane that's kind of folded. And as you make different um, sounds with your voice, you know, high or low pitched um, and things like that, it actually, these things will stretch like front to back or I guess top to bottom on that picture, but also in and out to make those different things. God made every one of you with one of those. Every one of you. Every one of you can sing. I mean, um, he, uh, so, some things that you should know about um, these vocal cords, with maturity, they change. Like so, as you, get, as you grow from a baby, 
um, you uh, they get longer and they get thicker, and then as you get older, they kind of shrink a little bit, kind of like you know, same thing happens to you when you get older and you do this too. So um, they change over time. What I found was really interesting, though, like you know, speaking of babies, when a baby cries, you know, babies cry a lot, right? Yes, go like this. Yes, and like what's happening when they cry is they're actually making their vocal cords grow. And, like, what happens is, like, when a baby is born, that membrane has more of a, like, I know this sounds weird in science but granular kind of, like, makeup. And as they cry and cry and cry, it becomes more aligned into these long strings and fibers that make up their vocal cords. So if they didn't do all that crying, their vocal cords would not be transformed into, you know, the voice of your child that you hear in the morning. Or like Sam says all the time. Um, and I have this thing hanging out my arm, so I feel really weird that out. What the heck? <laughs> For my next trick, <laughs> bionic worship leader. So, um, but anyway, so they, so like, you know, they cry. You know, if you and I cried that much, we'd lose our voice. But they can cry for, you know, go on and on and on because of that makeup and because as they do it, they're exercising and growing those vocal cords so they can speak. And, you know, like, everybody can do this. It's really rare that a person can't sing. I know you're saying to yourself, Doug, you don't know me. I can't sing. But honestly, everybody with very rare circumstances, like if somebody, um, a deaf person, sometimes they can't, they, they don't know how to vocalize things. Um, a person who maybe has had an operational or larynx, maybe they might not be able to sing. But everybody else can. The thing is that, like, you might not be able to sing like a trained singer, Right? You might not have spent a lot of time trying to make everything sound pretty and all that, but you can sing. And, like, God makes your voice specific and unique to you. And I think the beauty of, like, when we come together to worship is, like, when you put all those together, oh, man, that sounds good. And you should sing with the voice that God gave you. And sometimes I think people do hurt their voice or they, they try to sing in a way that sounds like somebody else, you know, and it doesn't work out. I mean, like, when I was growing up as a kid... Like, I grew up in the 70s and 80s, right? So every singer, I swear, had, like, a voice like a girl. Like, ah, you know, there is no chance that I was ever going to sing like that. When I finally found that there was a place I could sing that was Doug, I was able to sing because I thought, like, well, guitar's cool, but I'll never be able to sing. I mean, you guys might still think that I can't sing too well, but that's okay. That's a different different, uh, sermon. But anyway, (laughs) so, um, anyway, so, you know, like, all you really need to sing is a voice. And if you can speak, you can sing. And you need a brain, you know, a head. And you need a heart. Not the one that pumps, which is good to have. But, you know, the one that feels. That's what you need to sing. You need a heart, head, and a voice. Um, because, like, all those three things together, when science looks into it, they, they realize that, like, you know, like, a lot of scientists don't like to talk about, like, God and how God was the designer of all this. But what they do find is this, this system that is exquisitely designed for you to be able to sing and enjoy music. And so I want to talk about why we sing. And, you know, like, it's kind of weird um, to try to find out where singing came from. I mean, because it's been going on for eons and eons. In fact, there is no culture, no people group, no human group anywhere in the world who doesn't sing. Every culture group everywhere. 
um, it's things um, like uh, <clears throat> like maybe uh, nobody really knows where it started, but maybe people started imitating sounds in nature, like birds singing. And you might ask yourself too, like, okay, then why do birds sing? And I would say, I don't know. Maybe it's God's design. So, but at some point in time, people started making these uh, noises. In fact, um, I love how this uh, famous Danish linguist Otto Jesperson puts it. In the beginning was the voice. Voice is sounding breath, the audible sign of life. Like to the world everywhere, when you have a voice, it means you're alive. And nobody knows where, but somewhere along the line, as, 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 as ancient people started making these kind of uh, noises based on their emotions or what was going on. So, for instance, you know, like when you, when you lift up something heavy and you're like, mm, right? Or maybe like you're in danger and you scream or, or whatever. Um, they, they, they think that like all of those things started to become linked with information, like to become language. And they think that like some of those, some of that singing actually contributed to forming language. In fact, they say that kids actually develop speech better when they sing. So I think that's kind of cool. Um, songs, um, after a while, though, became more important to pass on important survival information from generation to generation. So as they kind of look at cultures, they know that, like, there was no, before there was writing everything, there was, they had to have some way to pass on things from generation to generation things that would provide for survival and keep you out of danger. And so they, um, so like those, those, those um, emotional noises became joined with um, information. So, or, or another way you might think about it is like that emotion became joined with truth. It became a sort of a richer kind of idea. And so they would use them to kind of to teach like generations, like you would teach your kids through songs, like where to find game, you know, where to uh, escape danger, things like that. In fact, um, to this day, the Aborigines in um, Australia, they actually have these songs that are actually maps to get from one place to another. They have these songs that they sing that help them remember where all of the water places that they can find, you know, in the desert are. So uh, even now, that sort of ancient thing lives on. And there's something about songs that can seep sink uh, deep memory hooks into our brain, both at that emotional level, you remember those, those utterances, those grunts and those kind of things, but also a cognitive level, that thinking idea, you know, that information level. And I know that you probably have heard songs before that, like, when it comes on the radio, it just kind of takes you back to where you were, like, in that moment when you first heard it, or maybe when you heard it at, at like, an important moment in your life. Um, my wife, Beth, um, she, anytime she hears REM, it always takes her back to being in um, Japan as she traveled around Japan and uh, just kind of takes her back. And, uh, you know, we use that, that idea that, like, um, song is so helpful for memory to teach people things. I mean, you probably can think of songs that, you know, you used to remember things when you were little, right? This one. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, right? Right? Everybody knows that song. Um, <laughs> thank you for the amen. <laughs> a, B, C, D, got an amen. That's all right. So we, we remember, um, we also sing to remember and share stories, but 
And we also sing because some things are just inexpressible with words. I mean, there are some things in life that, like, just saying it, you know, just talking about it is not enough. It doesn't quite cover the essence of what that thing is about. It's, um, it's, um, it's something that science sees, too. And they found out, like, science, when they would, like, hook up brain monitors to people who um, were listening to that song, you know, that song that would send chills down their spine or had some sort of deep, you know, effect on them, they found, they thought that, like, when they did that, the, the abstract parts of the brain would be affected, and that's where they'd see the activity, but they actually found that when they listened to songs, um, that all parts of the brain would be activated, even the deepest parts, the one that they consider, not the abstract parts, but the ones that um, affect, you know, those basic drives, like the, the drive for water and food and sex, so... I mean, all parts of your brain are activated by song. That's, why it's, that's one of the reasons it's so powerful. One scientist remarked, what music does is reach down into the parts of our brain and opens networks and pathways that you can't get to via language. They believe part of, of that is related to our ability to detect dissonance and consonance. Everybody heard of dissonance and consonance before? It's, a, it's a sort of a, uh, a music idea um, it's this idea when things agree or don't agree, right? Um, or you could say in another way, when things are in harmony or not in harmony. So I'm going to play you something that's, um, that's consonants when things kind of go together. So if I play, I'm gonna turn this up. If I play this string and then I play the other one next to it, hear how they sort of agree, and that's, that sounds all right. It's not quite a song, but it sounds all right. But then if I, like, I do this, you're like, oh that? What is that? Um, that's consonant. Or, I mean, that's dissonance. That's when things work against each other. But if I go like, oh, ah, that's not too bad, right? And so, like, songs use those kind, of, those kind of things that are inherent to the way that we are designed to kind of speak to you. So, like, um, you know, there, when you put all those, those consonances and dissonance together, you get more complex things called chords. So if I play a chord like this, this is a major chord, right? Kind of sort of nice, right? Cool, happy. If I play something like feels like kind of a happy tune, right? But if I play this, I'm not so happy. A minor chord. Right? Something deeper going on there. And like so the reason like that it affects us us that way is because we're designed for that. Because God designed us to be able to detect when things are in harmony and things are not. Um, and so songs, songs work with that and, and kind of go deeper into us because of that. Um, that's the reason that love songs mean so much to us. Because you ever hear that song and you're like, that's my song right there. That's my song. You know, because it just speaks to you in deep way. Like when I, whenever I, there's a couple songs I hear, I immediately think of my wife Beth, like Brown Eyed Girl by Van Morrison or Modern English's Melt With You. I just think, hmm, you know, I don't know how, like, I don't even know what I'll Stop the World and Melt With You means in practical terms. But I do know that I think of Beth when I hear that, like, that, that's meaningful to me. It's like at some sort of deeper level. But also songs about God. Sam was talking about this, this uh, really young guy who wrote this song that we sang before, Come Thou Found. I mean, when he, he wrote that, like, that was amazing. Um, 
he had some sort of day when he wrote, Come, now fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing your grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. I mean, I mean, just the words alone do something to you. It's not just like plain old language. I could say the same thing. I could say, like, uh, come, come, come to me, God, the one who gives me everything, and, and teach me how to, to talk about who you are and how good you are. It just doesn't have the same sort of ring, you know what I mean, as come now, fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing your grace. I mean, there's something about song that just affects us at levels and with a lot, lot more comprehensively than just language does. Another reason that we sing is because it binds us together. Social science tells us that for humans, music can act as a binding agent. Shared songs can provide group identity. They help us to reenact experiences together. So when we sing songs about uh, Jesus' resurrection, like we reenact that together. We relive that story together through that song. Um, It also helps shape culture, you know. So like here at this place, our songs reflect our culture. They give us identity. When we sing one of the, you know, like you probably go to a friend's church and they sing a song we do here and you go, oh, that's one of our songs. Well, we don't do it quite like that, but yeah, that's one of our songs. You know, and uh, like like Shel uh, Costello um, who, who wrote superheroes. I mean, when you hear that, you go, that's our song. That came from us. It kind of binds us all together. They help us bind our stories together and our identity in Christ together. Remember, I talked about before, like I, I sang the Michigan fight song, which is the best fight song ever, by the way, just so you know. And that Notre Dame song, too. That, that, you know, immediately you could tell the factions. I think it was me and another person from Michigan, and then everybody else from Notre Dame. But, like, it sort of binds you together and helps you have identity. Hey, we're Notre Dame fans. Whatever. So I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Um, they, uh, <laughs> they help us bind us together. I, but, you know, before I go any further, I want to I just give a note about seeing... Um, when we sing here together, it's kind of a big deal. Um, I know there's, um, um, there's some of you who love to sing, and then there's others who, you know, just don't care to sing for whatever reason. And um, I want to talk first to the pers- to people who love to sing. Um, I want you to, every weekend that you can to just go for it. Because when you go for it, there might be a person sitting next to you or around you who just can't sing. Because life has just beat the crap out of them that week. They just don't have the strength for it. Or maybe they're just so doubtful about what it means for there to even be a God. They, they just can't. And when you sing, you become their voice for them. So I just want to encourage you to do that. And then for those who don't like to sing, first of all, I just want to start with an apology. Because I think that like there's probably been times, if you don't like to sing, that maybe me or someone else made you feel guilty because you didn't want to sing. And I think that's wrong. But I do think that that doesn't leave you out because if you think about that moment when you're not singing, right? You, you, I mean, what do you choose? Do you like make your laundry list during that time or something? I, I mean, that's not really what we want to be as a community. We want to be all united together. So I would just encourage you, maybe if you don't feel like singing, 
that, you know, like maybe you can listen to the words and maybe there's something in there that's meaningful to you and that you can just find a place to pray to God about that. You know, um, maybe, um, maybe you're just not in a place where you, you're not sure about any of this. You know, you're not sure that you want to sing songs about how much you love God. Um, and there's this uh, a pretty famous saint, the Saint Teresa of Avila. Saints are, are folks that the church sort of said, like, you know, if anybody is bound to be in God's company, it's probably this person. Um, Teresa of Avila um, had this prayer. It said, like, God, I don't love you, but I want to want to love you. And maybe that's where you are. Maybe you're just in that place where you're like, God, I don't know what this is all about, but if you're there, help me find the way to say that I love you. Help me find what it means to love you. Um, amen? And uh, so, but probably the most important and vital reason that we sing is because of what's at stake. And um, I want to talk about that, and I want to take you guys into, and together we can kind of look through this, this worship experience of this guy named Isaiah. Isaiah was an Old Testament prophet, and he was called to speak to the, the nation of Israel about who they had been, about who God is, and what God had in mind for them. He um, is a very talented writer. Um, I know that a lot of TV shows is kind of in vogue to kind of not have like everything go in a sort of linear way. So it's not like chapter one, Isaiah says, like, here's what you need to know about me, and here's the rest of my story. He starts with his message right off. He's got something important to say, so he just starts with that. So the whole first five chapters of the book of Isaiah are these messages about who the nation of Israel has been and who God is and what he wants for them. And then he moves on from there in chapter six. They start talking about that moment when he was called by God to be the one who speaks to Israel. So let's, let's take a look at that. It's in Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, if you want to look in your Bible. We'll start with the, with the, uh, the first verse. It was in the year that King Uzziah died. I think that like when, when Isaiah looks back at this moment, he's like he remembers exactly when it was. It's kind of like in a couple more weeks, um, it'll be the 10th anniversary of September 11th. How many people remember exactly where they were on September 11th. I mean, I know that's a stupid question. It's hard not to remember that. Um, Isaiah, this was such a mark on him, this experience that he remembers. It was in the year that King Uzziah died. He goes on to say, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So, like, I know it sounds like this is a, a specifically you know, visual, physical visualization, like God is sitting on a chair, and then there's a very long robe that somehow stretches all around the room. And maybe that's what he saw. But I think that a lot of times writers use kind of colorful language to say something that, like I said before, that music does for us, that says something a lot deeper than we can just say with words. So maybe that's exactly what he saw. But I think the most important thing that we can take from it is he had this vision of who God was that God is in charge, that God is the king in his world. And he goes on and he says, above him were seraphs. And my translation is seraphim, which I guess is the plural of seraphs. Um, Each with six wings. With two wings, they covered 
their faces. With two, they covered their feet, and with two, they're flying, which that's kind of a crazy idea. I mean, has anybody seen one of those before? I mean, doesn't that not sound bizarre? It's okay to go like this if that just sounds freaking bizarre. Like, what does that even mean? Like, sometimes when we read the Bible, we kind of have those moments where, like, we either go, like, yeah, God, it's okay. Keep on going, you know. Or we go, what the heck does that even mean? To me, what it means is these are incredibly humble creatures. I mean, as they're flying around, they got their eyes covered because they're in God's presence. They got their feet covered because, you know, that thing about stinky feet and that kind of horns and stuff like that. You know, they got their feet covered. They got their eyes covered. They're flying back and forth. They're humble creatures, humbled in the presence of God, and they're worshiping, and they're calling out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And, uh, you know, when we think about the idea of holy, it's this idea that, like, something is completely pure, completely unblemished, complete without stain. It's different than cars after they've been through like a winter in Michigan, you know, they got all that dirt and dust and rust on them. Okay, we're talking about perfect, pristine, nothing, I mean, just as perfect as perfect can be. And these creatures, as they're flying and singing, shouting back and forth, they're saying not only God is God that, but he's three times that. He's more, it's, it's kind of a way of saying it's more than you can imagine. And th- he's, they're flying back and forth, and they're saying the whole earth is full of his glory. Like, why is that significant? I think it's partially significant because at the time, the people who inhabited um, the areas, they would have gods, and those gods would belong to a place. So for Israel, you know, their god, you know, it would be the god of Israel, right? The land, the Haaretz, the land where they lived. Um, and then, you know, maybe Egypt had their gods over there, you know, in the and, you know, and so on. But, like, what the, the, the message that Isaiah is getting from these seraphs is, like, this is the God of everything. The whole earth is full of his glory, and he is holy. And it says, and it goes on, it says, At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. I mean, this is not an ordinary worship experience. I mean, you know, I know there's some churches that have fog machines and stuff like that, and that's cool and all, but, I mean, this is different. And the reason is, I think Isaiah has this uh uh-oh moment because, you know, he understands the history of Israel. He knows there's that moment when God made a covenant with, with the nation of Israel, and he had the Ten Commandments, and he said, you will be my people, I will be your God. And they gathered around this mountain, and that mountain shook. And smoke came out of the top of it, and they knew God was there. And so when this happens, he's like, uh-oh, that's God. And so he has this moment, and he says, whoa, woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I lo- live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He's saying, like, I'm not like these creatures flying around, humble creatures flying around, talking about how God is holy, holy, holy. He knows who he is, and he knows the people around him and the way they've been living. He's acutely, in this moment, he is acutely 
aware of who he is. He says, I am ruined. And then it says, then one of those seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. I mean, this is what I think God wants for all of us all along. I mean, all throughout our story as a people of God, I mean, going way back in the Old Testament until now, there's this constant thread that God created the earth to be good. And he created people to be very good. And that's the way he wants us. He wants us to be clean and free from blemish. He wants us to be whole. That's why he sent his son Jesus to rescue you. Because he wants you to be whole. And the same kind of thing has taken place here. Um, he wants us to be like that. I think it's funny, though. Um, these seraphs are flying around, right? And they got their, their feet covered. They got their eyes covered. They're flying around. And one flies over and takes a coal and puts it right on his lips. How did he do that with the, with the wings over his eyes? It's just weird. Um, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. This, I think, is what God has been looking for all along. Someone desiring to live according to his desire and plan. You know, when, when, the, when the seraphs said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, and then the, the temple shook and filled with smoke, I think God was trying to get Isaiah's attention. How many of you guys have kids in here? Okay, and then how many have ever been kids? Like, you know, you ever try to get your kids' attention when they're, like, watching the Disney Channel, like Sam said before? It's ridiculous. It's practically impossible, is it not? It's like, I just need to tell you something, and you can go on with your life. I swear, it will only take, like, a minute. They're like, like, it's just oblivious. I think God wants to get our attention because he wants to have a conversation with us. He wants to interact with us. He wants to know that, like, we're there. And we're aware of who he is. Because when we have that conversation, when we enter in that, into that moment with him, then we can find out more about who he is. We can find out more about who we are or maybe who we've been. And we can find out more about what's at stake. Because in this moment, God says, who will go for us? Who can I send? Who can I send to tell the nation of Israel, that they're messing up. Like, I, I want the best for them, and they're just completely going the other way. They think they know best. I want the best for them, but they, they just act like I'm not even there. It's kind of like they got their mind on the Disney Channel. They're just going on about their life, and they're not hearing me. And so he says, he says to Isaiah, he said, go and tell us people, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. I mean, it sounds like, what? <laughs> like, why is he telling them, like, to make it hard for them to hear the message? I think God's, like, making a joke here. He said, otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. He's, like, going, you know, maybe. Maybe if you go tell them, maybe they'll hear me and turn. Why is this so important? Because it's our calling too. It's our calling to, to live 
and share the good news about God and what he has revealed in his son Jesus. And because all around us, just like in Isaiah's time, there's people who have been brainwashed and lulled into believing that this reality, this world around us is all the, the reality that there is. That there's not a greater reality that created all of this, who wants the best for us. And so they live like just what God created is either their personal ashtray or their personal gold mine. People need to know that there's something at stake, that God has a better kind of way of living for them, that he created you. He's the one who invented that whole DNA thing, that he designed you, formed you, made you to be special, and he doesn't want you to be treated or anyone else to be treated either as a personal ashtray or a personal gold mine. And when we come together and we sing, when we proclaim God is holy, 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 this is a subversive act. It tells the world that there's something deeper and more important and vital than the world that they're living in. There's something bigger out there. He created this world to be good. He created us to be very good. He created us to be whole. We sing so that we can transcend that place that we find ourselves in. We sing so that we can bridge the gap between us and God, but we also sing so that people might see in us hope. That they might see that they don't have to be the equivalent of that car that's been through a Michiana winter and had the salt and the dirt and the rust be a part of who they are, that he wants to make them whole. We're, I'm going to call a band up here right now, and we're going we're gonna to walk through this. We're actually going to sing a song together. Um, so, and uh, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then I'll just have a note, and then we'll go ahead and sing. God in heaven, we thank you that we've been called to come together, that all of our voices are uniquely designed, and together we can do this subversive thing and sing about who you are and that the world around us might take notice, that you might get your attention, God. You might get their attention or our attention, and we might get a clue about how to live the better way that you had in mind for us all along. God, we thank you that we can join here and sing. And for those who can't, God, I just thank you that they can find the place where that they can think about who you are and who they are and what's at stake. God, we thank you for all those things as we um, get ready to proceed. In Jesus' name, amen. The word worship comes from an old English word. Um, it, it's, it sounds like worship. It's spelled really funny. Um, it's this idea that we ascribe worth to something. Last week, Pastor Greg said that there's three ideas about what worship is. This idea of awe, this idea of bowing down, and last of all, serving. And you see all of those things in Isaiah. And we're going to sing this song, another one of those songs that comes from, you know, a long time ago that connects us with the world that all along has been saying, no, no, there's something greater out there. There's, some, there's a reality that's more important than the one that we think that we're in. And, um, and uh, I love how... Pull this off. And I love how um, it just talks about, like, not just us worshiping, but the whole world. Remember said in Isaiah, it said the whole 
earth is filled with his glory. He talks about, you know, like uh, the silver moon, the burning sun, like every part of what God has made. 